Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your love for us. Lord, breathe upon your word. Uh, let it be infused with your spirit, your person, your power, and let it bring about transformation and change in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we're continuing on our journey into God's promises, um, and we've, we've, let, we've moved on from the debacle uh, that took place when they built a golden calf and worshipped the golden calf, and God intended to wipe them away in his anger. Moses interceded for them, appealed to them, and God relented because of Moses' appeal um, and then wiped them off. And as they were about to continue on the journey, um, this is God speaking to Moses about them. Exodus, the 33rd chapter, verses 1 to 3. If you want a title uh, for today's um, talk, today's message, the title, Take Off the Ornaments, is the title for today. Take Off the Ornaments. Exodus 33, verses 1 to 3, if you just read with me. Then, then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hevite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people." Now, these scriptures that I just read to you go to the heart of a dilemma that confronts us as 21st century believers. God says to them, it's obvious that God is still angry with them, even though he relented and turned away from destroying them as a result of Moses' appeal. God says to them, you can go. I will send my angel with you. I will protect you from your enemies, the Hittites, the Hevites, the Perizzites, and all the other enemies. I will deal with them. I will give you what I promised you, the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. You can go on your way, but my presence, I will not go with you. Now today, this arrangement would probably be okay for many Christians. As long as they have the husband, give me the husband. As long as they have the wife, give me the wife. As long as they have the, the house, the new house, give me the new house. As long as they have the job or the promotion, give me the job or the promotion. As long as they have their healing, give me my healing. As long as they are protected, give me my protection. As long as God sends his angel, as long as God gives us the promises, gives the promises, 
our own Canaan, all 5,467 5, of them, for a lot of Christians today, that would suffice. They have what they desired. Today, sadly, a lot of Christianity is focused on the gifts rather than the giver. But as difficult and rebellious as the children of Israel were, they knew that to just receive the gifts, to just get the milk and honey in Canaan, to just be protected, to just have what God was offering them, the defeat of their enemies, that without God himself would be a downgrade and they understood that as difficult and as rebellious as they were. They knew that if we accept these things and God does not go with us, if we don't have God as well, then it will end up being hollow. And what was their reaction? Verses 4 and 6. In Exodus, the 33rd chapter, and when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come into your midst and in one moment, in one moment and consume you. Now therefore take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Now why did they mourn? What was it that saddened them? When God said that he wouldn't go with them, but what they wanted to arrive in Canaan, that land flowing with milk and honey, that was their ultimate destination. To be protected on the way there to have provision made for them as they went on that journey. That was what they wanted. So why were they mourning when God said, but I, my presence, will not go with you? They were mourning because they understood what, it, what, what sadly some of us have not fully understood, that without the presence of God, those things would never satisfy. There would still be a hunger, still a thirst, still a need, still a vacuum, still a hollow that can only be met by the presence and the person of God. They understood that it's possible to have a wife and still be unsatisfied or dissatisfied. They understood that it's possible to have a husband and there's still a yearning for some more. They understood that the children can take the place of God. They understood that a new car is just precious metal that is going to depreciate and eventually lose value. It can't take the place of God. They understood that friends can take the place of God. They understood that things that we buy can take the place of God. They understood that those things are good to have, but they simply can't satisfy. Or the only thing that could satisfy is the presence of God. They understood that. And 
Moses got it even more than them. And may God give us the revelation that Moses had about God and the presence of God. As a result, the commendation from God was that with Moses, I speak face to face. Moses, a friend of God. The Bible says Moses said in verses 12 and 13, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. Verse 14, And God said to him, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 15 and 16, Then he said to him, that's Moses, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Moses got it. Moses understood that in the final analysis, it is the presence of God. He understood so much that he said, God, if your presence will not come, then I am not going. Now, this is despite being offered everything on a platter. But despite being offered everything on a platter, he understood that it is the presence of God, the person of God, the fellowship of God, the intimacy with God, it is that, that depth of relationship, that awareness of God, that being able to take God with him, being able to commit everything to God, submitted to God, yielded to God. And someone might say, well, what exactly does the presence of God mean? It is, it is a constant awareness of God. It is submitting and yielding to the Holy Spirit. It's constantly being led by the Spirit of God. It's having God before you every single moment of your life. And Moses said, we are not going. I am not going if your presence does not go with me. Those things that you have given us, they are worthless and empty if your presence does not go with us. How many of us would say that today? That if your presence does not come with the gifts, that we want more than the gifts, we want the giver of the gifts. Your presence has to go with us. And you know, Moses highlights two things about God's presence. The first thing he highlights is that when we get the presence of God, we find rest. He says that we find with the presence of God that place of peace. 
Now, that does not mean an absence of storms, but it means that because of the presence of God, the person of God, the depth of intimacy, the relationship that exists, strong and sturdy, the fellowship, the communion with God, you can be in the midst of a storm, but you will have the peace of God that passes all understanding. It would explain how three Hebrew boys were thrown into a lion's den. The peace of God was with them because the presence of God was very much there. And in a graphic picture to us, when Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he saw in the middle of the furnace when they were thrown into the fire, he, he, saw, he didn't just see three people, three people who were bound and thrown into the fire. He saw three people walking around, loosed from the chains that, that, that they were bound with, walking around freely, but he also saw a fourth man in the fire. The presence of God was with them. That's why you see some people and you wonder how they can be going through what they are going through. The heat in the furnace is so fierce, it would have consumed normal people. Well, they are not alone. They have the presence of God with them. They have found rest with the presence of God. The presence of God, that place of rest that comes with the presence of God, a place of tranquility, a place of balance and equilibrium, a place of assurance, a deep assurance, an assurance based on what God has said, the word of God, the promises of God. And haven't we seen that many times when other people's faith has failed and someone has a deep, a quiet and deep assurance that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. If God said it, a quiet assurance, it comes from the presence of God that takes a person into a place of rest that is a place of assurance. A place of certainty. And don't we need that now? In the midst of this uncertainty, the presence of God brings that certainty. It's just a deep assurance. You know, when you fellowship with God at that level, you're intimate with Him at that level. When you spend time in cultivating that presence, it becomes a part of your life. It breeds a certain certainty in the midst of uncertainty. A place of rest that comes with the presence of God, a place where there is no toiling, a place in a sense where you, you rest from your labors. It doesn't mean that you don't work hard. Of course you work hard. But then there is the fruit of the, your labor, of your work, because it's a place of rest. The presence of God acts like a greenhouse that causes whatsoever you lay your hands on to prosper. A place of contentment where a person is delivered from striving. A place that is devoid of fear, anxiety, or worry. Because it's the presence of God. And like the psalmist says, 
a place of joy. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. It comes from the presence of God. And you, you might ask, so how is it possible to constantly have that joy? It comes from the knowledge that you have of the person of God. If God be for us, who can be against us? All things work together for your good. It comes from that close fellowship. You have an assurance. It looks like it's tepsy-turvy. It looks like it's confused It looks or confusing. It looks perplexing. It looks like it's upside down. But you know that because God's presence is with you, this thing must line up eventually and work for your good. The lines have no choice but to fall in pleasant places for you because of the presence of God. All these other things don't give you rest. It is only the presence of God that can give you rest. If you don't have the presence of God, you are constantly striving, constantly dissatisfied. You get a car. They didn't even tell you that they were changing the model. You get the car with the latest registration number, and four weeks later you drive out and you see somebody else's car, and it's the new model of your car. Dissatisfaction sets in if you don't have the presence of God. With the presence of God comes a contentment. So the first thing Moses tells us is that the presence of God brings you rest. The second thing Moses tells us is that the presence of God distinguishes us. That's what separates us. That's what makes us different. That's the mark on our lives. That with this presence of God, that's what makes us peculiar. That's what makes people ask us, how come you are coping? How come you are dealing with it? How come you are so calm? How come you seem so assured? How come you seem so certain? How come you are so confident? How come you are so optimistic? How come we are facing the same circumstances? Can't you see the challenges? Don't you see the uncertainty? Can't you see that, that the future looks challenging? Yes, I can see all those things. But I am in the presence of God. I have the God who created the heavens and the earth with me. He has given me an assurance that all will be well. I know that all will be well. Head or tail, I win. That's because I have the presence of God with me. I cultivate that presence. Because once that presence goes with me, it must line up in my favor. And even when the things come, the blessings come, those blessings won't end up derailing me because the blessings are not what matters. It is the presence of God that matters. It's what distinguishes us, what sets us apart, the presence of God that we carry. And you know, when you see someone who carries the presence of God, it's attractive. When the person walks in, there's a, certain, there's a certain aroma that comes with the person. There's a certain presence. And it's not a human presence. It's the presence of God. When you hang around such people, it's a joy to be, to be with them because they carry 
that presence with them wherever they go. Moses said, I am not going unless your presence goes with us. And you know, for us to cultivate and practice the presence of God, we will have to do what God asked the children of Israel to do. And what did God say to them? He said to them, in the scriptures we read at the beginning, he said to them, Exodus 30, 33, verses 4 and 6, verses 4 to 6, if you can start from, yes. When the people heard this sad news, they mourned, and no one put on his, put on his ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, this was the instruction, you are stiff-necked, you are rebellious, you are difficult. I could have come into your midst and consumed you. But then mercy kicks in and he says, but now therefore take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. The process of starting to cultivate the presence of God always starts with that instruction from God, take off your ornaments. Take off those things that are a barrier to my presence. Those things that are attracting your attention because they are shiny, they are glitzy. Those things that have drawn your heart away from me. Those things that are obstacles. Take off your ornaments. As long as you're wearing the ornaments, it's a barrier to you receiving my presence. Take off your ornaments. And I want to say to you, that's the message from the Lord today. As we seek this presence of God, want to cultivate it, take the ornaments off. And someone might say, well, what are these ornaments? I'll tell you five of them very quickly. Number one, the most obvious is sin. Get rid of that ornament of sin. That thing that, that draws us that pulls us and makes us lust after. That thing that wants to entice us. Take off, get rid of that ornament of sin. Isaiah the 59th chapter verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin, iniquity, rebellion, wrongdoing, going against God's word will definitely be a barrier and will stop that sweet presence of God from coming and from being a part of our lives. My sister, deal with the sin. My brother, deal with the sin. Anyone who has had a relationship with God that was growing and, and deepening will know what happened when they got into sin. You will know instantly that something has changed because it is impossible for the Holy God to dwell in unholiness. Thankfully, because of grace, there is a pathway for us to quickly come back into that special relationship. 
When we repent of our, the sin, we confess our sins to Him. We repent of the sins. We turn away. We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit so that we don't go back to our sins like a dog goes back to its vomit. Then we can continue cultivating the presence of God. But the cost of sin is the presence of God. Number one, take off the ornament of sin. Number two, take off the ornament of religion. That form of godliness that denies its power. That submission to external things like the ornaments, the focus on the external, on the jewelry, and I don't mean jewelry in terms of what the women wear, but I'm using that as a metaphor. The external form of religion Whereas the heart is not right. Take off religion. Get rid of it. 2 Timothy, the third chapter and the fifth verse, talks about that form of godliness that denies the power. And the encouragement from Paul to his protege, Timothy, was that people who are like that, please turn away from them. Keep away from them. Because that religion, the focus on the external, on what others see, can be very corrupting. Take off the ornament of religion. Look in the heart. It's not what others see. It's not how others see you. It is how God sees you. Take off the ornament of religion. Number three, take off the ornament of this world, the mindset of this world, the way that the world does its things, the the. The, the arguments and reasonings and logic of the world, the, log, the, the human logic that sadly is seeping in into a lot of the church. Take it off. If we could solve the problem, we would have. We wouldn't need Jesus. The reason we need Jesus is because we accept that on our own, we are hopeless, we have no chance, we have failed, we are dysfunctional. But then when Jesus comes, he gives us wholeness and makes us functional. We need the presence of God. Colossians, the second chapter and the eighth verse, the Passion Translation. The Bible says, beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by pretending to be full of wisdom when they are filled with endless arguments of human logic. If they could solve it, they would have solved it. When they come with endless arguments of human logic that are really a snare to turn us away from the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word, from the message of the kingdom, he goes on to say, For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and not the anointed truths of the anointed one. May God continue to pour the anointed truths of the anointed one into our lives. May we turn away from, from humanistic and clouded judgments that are based on the mindset of this world system. As I always say, you can't use Philistine methods to solve 
see things in the kingdom of God. We have to use kingdom methods. There are kingdom methods for me to deal with my marriage. There are kingdom ways for me to raise my children. There are kingdom ways for me to do my business. There are kingdom ways for me to start a relationship with a young lady and court a young lady. I don't have to use the humanistic thinking of this world system to do it. No, there are kingdom ways to do it. I will be frustrated if I use the world system to do it because I look around and I can see that the world system has failed and failed woefully. So I have to delve into the word of God to find the kingdom way. There are kingdom ways to resolve arguments. There are kingdom ways to build relationships. There are kingdom ways, there are kingdom ways to do every single thing that we want to do in this world. The kingdom, the king of the kingdom has set in a book the constitution of the kingdom, the way that we as kingdom citizens live. It's my responsibility to find out how the constitution says I should approach every situation and every circumstance so that I don't end up frustrated as I try to ap apply human logic and the mindset of this world. I, I live by the anointed truths of the anointed ones. One, and I can't find it out except I go into the constitution of the kingdom of God. Number four, take off the ornaments of wrong motives. It's a clean and pure heart. God does not see the externals, the ornaments. He doesn't see how we look, how we are acting. That's not where he primarily makes his conclusion. He, he sees the heart. Men might see on the outside, but trust me, God sees the heart. He sees our motives. He sees our deepest thoughts. He knows why we're doing it. And so when we know that the motives of the heart are wrong, Take off those ornaments. They are stopping the presence of God from coming and abiding. Take off the ornaments. Psalms 24 verses 3 to 4 in the Passion Translation. Who then ascends into the presence of the Lord? Who ascends into the presence of the Lord? And who has the privilege of entering into God's holy place? Those who are clean whose works and ways are pure, whose hearts are true and sealed by the truth, those who never deceive, whose words are sure, whose hearts are true and sealed by the truth. God searches the heart. He searches our motives. And God, by his Spirit, is saying to us, take off those ornaments, those wrong motives. They are stopping my presence from abiding. And number five, the last point. Take off the ornament of busyness. <laughs> to cultivate the presence, to practice the presence, to carry the presence with you, we have to give time to that pursuit, passion to that pursuit, dedication to that pursuit, and commitment to that pursuit. 
Jeremiah 29 verse 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's with all your heart. When we are passionate, we want that presence. Listen to Moses. God, I will not go. I will not leave here except you go with us. You can sense his passion for the presence of God. You can sense his dedication to the presence of God, his commitment to the presence of God. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, what was his response in Matthew, the 22nd chapter and the 37th verse? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with everything that you have, many are giving a portion of their heart to God. But then portions of their hearts are dedicated to other things. That doesn't bring the presence. But when we give all our hearts, all our soul, all our mind, when we prioritize the presence of God, it is what matters the things will come, but without the presence of God, those things are hollow. It, it ends in what Solomon calls vanity upon vanity, futility upon futility, emptiness upon emptiness. Those things can never satisfy. But when you have the presence of God with you and he gives those things as a blessing, it's a wonderful place to be. And you know, when he doesn't give some of those things, it doesn't matter because you have the giver. You have the presence of God. It's a matter of priorities. And so I want to encourage us as we go on this journey. His promises, we will get. The things he has said, we will get them. But let the focus be more than those things. Let the focus be on him. It's a love affair with him. It's a, it's a relationship he craves. He didn't send his son to die just so we can have things. That's a byproduct. He sent his son to die so that he can have you and I. He can enjoy intimacy with us, a relationship with us, a deep relationship with us. So I want to encourage you, prioritize the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. Seek the presence of God. Desire the presence of God. Give time to cultivate the presence of God so that all these things, of course, come our way, rest. But critically, we have God. We enjoy that relationship with Him. Hallelujah. And you know, I'm going to ask that we just spend a few minutes wherever you are. Concentrate now, focus now, wherever you are. You know what my prayer was? And my prayer is now that like you've never experienced it before, the presence of God is going to come upon you and abide with you. This is the start of a journey into a deeper relationship and intimacy with God. 
And as he comes, he lifts those burdens. He takes those worries away. He brings an assurance. He comes with his peace. He brings tr tranquility. He brings wholeness and well-being. He brings his person. So why don't you just shut out everybody and everything, wherever you are, in your sitting room, in your bedroom, you know, wherever you are. Just shut out everybody and everything and, and, and let the sweet presence of God come upon you right now. Father, we just thank you. Go and just open up your heart and your spirit. Receive the presence of God. Oh, we bless you, Heavenly Father. Sweet Holy Spirit, come wherever my brother or sister is, wherever in the world. Come, Holy Spirit. Distance is not a barrier to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. The sweet presence of the living God, come. Rest upon my brother. Rest upon my sister. Go and just open up your heart and receive the presence of God in a new way. Yes, you've had it, you've, you've, you've had it before, you've experienced it before, but I'm asking that the, the glory of God, the presence of God will rest mightily on you in a new way. Come, Holy Spirit. Come as the presence of the living God. Come as the presence of the only true and living God. Sweet Spirit of the living God, come. We, we hunger for the presence of God. We thirst for the presence of God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, dissolve that burden. Lift that yoke. Bring an assurance in that difficulty. Come, Holy Spirit, sweet presence of the living God, come. Come, rest on my brother, rest on my sister. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, the presence of the living God. Fill that room now. Fill that house now. Father, fill that place with your presence, I ask in the name of Jesus. Father, come, O oh God. Father, wrap your arms, your loving arms around your daughter. Father, hold her close to you. Oh Lord, the pain of the past few months. Father, let the pain lift. Let that rock, oh God, that is in her heart melt. Father, your son has tried to stand strong. But Father, he knows himself that inside him there's so much fear of the future. Come with your presence and bring an assurance to him. Take away the anxiety and worry from your son and your daughter. Come, come, we desire your presence and your person. Let this be the start of a whole new phase of our lives as we commit ourselves to your presence, as we commit to not doing anything that will cause your presence to lift, as we commit to not grieve in your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, the sweet presence of the living God. Come, fill that house with your person, O oh God. Fill that person's life, Father, with your presence, your child. Fill your child with your presence. Father, there's, there's challenges up ahead. Your child is wondering how they are going to cope. Like being the fourth man in the fire, assure them that you are in this fire with them. And like your three, the three Hebrew children came out without even the smell of smoke on their clothes, that your child is coming out of that situation because your presence is going with him. Your presence is going with her. Come and let your presence rest mightily, mightily, mightily upon your son, mightily upon your daughter. As we lift our hands, let your presence come. Come, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest, Holy Spirit. 
come and abide, abide. Fill our atmosphere with your presence. Come, let us not go. We say we won't go without you, God, without your presence. We won't go without your person. Our desire is not for the things. Our desire is for you, oh God. Come, wipe those tears away. Even as your daughter sheds those tears, wipe them away. The pain of rejection, let your presence bring an assurance as to the fact that she's the beloved. The pain of loneliness. I declare, Father, that as your presence comes, loneliness must give way because your daughter is not alone. Your presence is with her. Your son is not going into that battle on his own. Your presence is with him. Come, the sweet presence of the living God. Come, 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 Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come with your presence. Come with your presence. Oh, Father, the sweet presence that, that fills that house and fills that room and envelops that life. That is the presence of the only true and living God. We reverence it as we welcome it. We yield to your presence. We are, we are caught up in your presence, Father. We are enveloped, oh God, by your loving presence, oh God. Father, we thank you. Father, we bless you. We give you all the praise as we, just, as we just enjoy your presence now. We enjoy your presence now. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We give you all the praise. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your sweet presence. Oh, we bless you. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And if there's anyone who hasn't given their lives to Christ to experience this presence as a lifestyle, why don't you just do that now? Why don't you just say, Lord, I want you, I want your presence as a lifestyle. Say, say after me as a prayer, as you open up your heart. You want to give your life to Christ. Heavenly Father, today I receive your presence into my life because I receive now the gift of salvation that opens that door for me, your son Jesus. I declare, Heavenly Father, that by your grace, I'm turning away from anything that I have done or I'm doing that is sinful as I embrace your presence and your person. Thank you for receiving me into your family. By this prayer, I declare that I am now a child of yours. Fill my life with your presence. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we just thank you and we bless you for the sweetness of your presence. Lord, may this not just be an encounter that we have had. Lord, may it be the start of a journey, a lifestyle into intimacy. Help us, Father, because we can't help ourselves to love you with all our hearts, all our minds, all our souls, Heavenly Father to seek your presence with everything, to treasure your presence, to not allow anything or anyone, Father, to in any way, Lord, pollute your presence. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We give you all the praise and glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know what I want to encourage you to do? Cultivate the presence of God. Let live with an awareness of the presence of God. 
the more aware you are about it, the more you cultivate it, practice it, uh, the more the presence becomes abiding. It just stays because you've given it space and room in your life. That's what I want to urge you to do. This week, practice cultivating the presence of God. Carry him wherever you go. Constantly talking to him. Constantly using every opportunity to serenade him in worship. Uh, create an atmosphere around you for the presence of God and watch your life completely transform. People will tell you that something has happened to you. It's the presence of God. Moses said, I'm not going except you go with me. The word from God today, take off all those ornaments that are stopping that presence from abiding with you. God bless you. 